being our last worship service as 1310 Ministries, I thought it would be fitting to end the way we started. When Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He's actually asked, what's the one greatest commandment? But he gives two. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all that you are. Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in one gospel, he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They are the core of all the law and the prophets. And I want to think about that this morning because I think it's easy to say, but it's important to come back to over and over and over again. I think that if we want to be Christ-like, then we have to understand this position. How can we be like Christ if we don't understand what Christ calls the two greatest commandments? How can we be like Jesus if we don't understand those things on which Jesus says all of the law and all of the prophets hang? At this point in my life, at this point in my walk with God, I think that it is the most important thing we can do is to meditate on this idea. But let's slow down a minute. Let's talk about healthy relationships. I think most people would agree that when we talk about love, we're going to talk about healthy relationships. Or if we're going to talk about healthy relationships, we have to talk about love. How can you have a loving relationship and not want it to be healthy? And how can you have a healthy relationship and not have loving interactions between people? And I know that there's some cultural differences in what we talk about when we say love, what we mean when we say healthy. But I think most people on a high level would agree that healthy relationships are loving relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. Friendship, spouses, parents and children, distant relatives, strangers on the street. When we create healthy environments for people, we create loving relationships. Sometimes I call these safe spaces, places where people are free to be themselves, to express themselves, to be secure in who they are, to explore their ideas and their identities. And the more safety we can create for people, the more we can be free and safe to express ourselves. This is part of that healthy relationship. And here's what's interesting. Study after study shows that when we want to create safe spaces for people, we have to set boundaries. Healthy relationships have boundaries. There are rules to being in spaces together. And the more people we add to a space, the more clear those boundaries have to be. And when we look at parents and children, for example, we know that children feel safest when they know where the boundaries are. When the boundaries are clear, they know what to expect. And when they know what to expect, they know how to conduct themselves. And having clear boundaries does not mean being authoritarian 
It means outlining where the boundaries are. If something hurts me as a person, and I tell you, hey, this hurts me, it makes me feel sad, it makes me feel afraid, it makes me feel uh, angry, uh, it triggers me in some way, then you as a person can respect that about me and conduct yourself in a way that maybe doesn't cross that boundary for me, doesn't push me to those places. Does that mean that everything that makes me sad is hurtful to me? No, it doesn't mean that. Sometimes to be you means that I need to adjust myself too because you have boundaries. And so it's this conversation back and forth between us as human beings. But creating these healthy boundaries, clear boundaries, is part of creating healthy spaces. And creating safety, part of creating safety is creating these clear boundaries. And so when a person comes into a space, we need to set some ground rules. And we could start at a really high level. Some people say, well, maybe there shouldn't be any rules. Why should there be rules? I don't want you to tell me what to do. But I think we can agree on some things to start. Like, for example, maybe don't kill people. Maybe when you come into this space, don't kill each other. I think most people would go, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that if we're not going to kill each other, then we can all exist together. If you're going to kill me, maybe we can't be in the same space together. Right? It seems logical. But then let's take that a step further. Maybe we say, to be in this space together and to have it be a safe, healthy environment for us, not only are we not going to kill each other, but maybe don't hurt each other. Maybe don't harm each other. Right? We don't want somebody coming in here and beating somebody up and then saying, well, I didn't kill them. Right? I think we can agree we also don't want people coming in here and beating us up. Right? So if we don't want people to come in here and beat us up, maybe we shouldn't beat other people up. Right? That seems like a mutual interest. We don't kill each other, we don't beat each other up, we don't harm each other. Right? And if we continue to follow this kind of thinking, we start to see that there are more and more rules that we can set in place that maybe we all agree on. So when we go back, for example, to the Ten Commandments, we see some of these rules. Like, maybe also don't steal from people. Right? I want to be in this space. I want to be in this relationship with you. I want to share some life with you. Maybe don't take my things. And I'll tell you what, if you don't take my things, then I won't take your things. So we've agreed not to kill each other, we've agreed not to beat each other up, we've agreed not to steal each other's things, right? So now when we come into this space together, we can be comfortable knowing I don't have to worry about you taking my things, and I don't have to worry about me taking your things, we don't have to worry about getting beat up or attacked by each other, we don't have to worry about dying, right? And that requires some trust. I have to be able to trust that you're not going to do these things to me, because I want you to trust that I'm not going to do these things to you. And then we see some other things, like maybe don't steal, but maybe also don't covet. Maybe don't sit there and desire after what I have. And maybe we could take that a step further and say, how about we even share some things? If you need something that I have, maybe you could borrow it. You see, and so as we start to form a more of a community, more of a regular shared space, we start to expand the rules. We start to expand the boundaries a little bit. 
And the further these boundaries go, the more we might permit. Like maybe we still say, don't beat people up and don't kill people. But maybe after we get to know each other, I say, you know what? I don't think you're going to steal my things. So why don't you just go ahead and help yourself to things that I have that you need because I trust that you're going to bring it back. So we started with don't steal. Your stuff is yours and my stuff is mine. But as we grew, we pushed that boundary out. And now it's like we don't even need to talk about stealing anymore because I know you're not going to take it. I know you'll return it. I know you'll respect it because you respect me. And we start to develop a broader relationship. This is why I don't need to go to my wife and tell her to write it down every time she takes something that's mine. I don't need to do that. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to tell her don't touch my tools if she needs a screwdriver or measuring tape. Because I know that she cares about me and she loves me. We lived together for a long time. And so I know I don't need to worry about that. But with my kids, sometimes... If they take my screwdriver, I need to know where it is, right? Not because I'm worried about them taking it, but because we haven't developed a rapport that I can trust I'm going to be able to find it later when I need it. We're working on that. With your kids, you say, don't touch electrical outlets. That's a boundary. Why? To keep them safe. But when they're three years old, two years old, they don't understand electricity. But they do understand that's a thing you don't touch, and this is a thing you can touch. But when they're older, what do we do? We say, here, can you plug this in for me? Wait, I thought I couldn't touch electrical outlets. Of course you can touch electrical outlets. Now, you see, the boundary is expanding. Healthy relationships know that you need boundaries, but they also know that those boundaries change over time, and they expand over time. And when we follow that through into adulthood, eventually we hope we reach a point where I don't have to tell you all the rules every time you come into my space. And you don't have to tell me all the rules every time I go into your space. And when we have shared spaces, we don't have to put up these long lists of rules on the wall that everybody has to read and sign every time they come in and out. Right? I don't have a list of rules in my home that I make my family sign every time they come in and go out because we've developed relationships with each other. But unfortunately, what often happens is we don't reach that place. We don't reach that place as families. We don't reach that place as communities. We don't reach that place as countries, as societies, as cultures. We often stop short of that. We stop with the rules because we don't allow the rules to create in us a kind of wisdom and a kind of personhood and a kind of being that helps us to grow, to outgrow the need for those rules. I'm not saying that humanity as a whole can ever get to a place where they don't need rules. I think it's a cycle. I think every generation needs to negotiate the rules, needs to learn the rules and then negotiate the rules. You see, there was a time when it was considered inappropriate and offensive to say certain words. And many of those words are completely appropriate and acceptable now. There are now other words that are inappropriate and offensive that we don't say. We call this political correctness. Some people are offended by the very idea of political correctness, as though it somehow tramples on their freedom to be who they are. But in reality, this is normal. 
This is language across all of human history. Language evolves and ideas evolve. And we have to learn and negotiate the new rules of language. There was a time when I was a kid, when I was taught it was completely unacceptable to use grammar in certain ways. I was taught very strictly, you cannot negotiate the Oxford comma. And then when I got to college, I was told by one of the TAs in a class I was taking that if I used an Oxford comma, he would dock me points. Language evolves. The usage of words evolves. When I was a kid, nobody cursed in public. And the people who did curse in public were considered really uh, inappropriate people. Now, personally, I don't care if people curse in public. It doesn't bother me. People curse all the time. I hear it on TV, I hear it on the street, I hear it in the store. It doesn't bother me at all. That part of our society is changing. The language is changing. And for some people, that's difficult to grasp, but really, it's the norm. It's normal. The same is true with how we relate with each other. There was a time when you went into a building and a man took off his hat. It was respectful. And there was a reason for that. But guess what? I don't know what it is. It was so long ago, I can't even remember why you had to take off your hat anymore. Because people don't do that anymore. Because if it's cold outside and you're stepping into a store for 30 seconds to grab something, you're going to pay for it and walk out and pump your gas, you don't take your hat off half the time. Because why? I got my mittens on. They're covered in snow or water or whatever. I just came out of the rain. I take my hat off, and now my hat is wet, and then i got to fumble with my hat to put my hat back on. And you know what? Most people don't care anymore. We negotiate how we love each other. And I know that sounds strange because you might think to yourself, what does that have to do with love? What does your hat have to do with love? What does your words have to do with love? It all has to do with love. Because it's the way we negotiate boundaries and shared spaces. That's what society is. I live in a space that you also live in. I go to a store you also go to. I go to school in places you also go to school. I work where you also work. I live where you also live. We have to negotiate these spaces together. And what we find is the rules become insufficient the longer we share space. We might still agree that we shouldn't kill each other. We might still agree that we can't beat each other up or that we can't steal each other's things. But in one community, it might be perfectly acceptable for you to walk into your neighbor's backyard and hang out on their porch. In another community, it might not be acceptable at all. People might have six-foot-tall fences with locks on them. When I was in college, we didn't even lock our door. Half the time, we didn't close our door, let alone lock it. We didn't have a fence around our front yard. We had a fence around our backyard, but it was a short little dinky chain link fence, and we didn't lock any of the gates. There were times I'd come home from class, and there'd be people in my house I didn't even know, just hanging out, waiting for one of my roommates, a friend of a friend. We just walked in and hung out with them. Some communities are like that. You negotiate the rules based on the setting, based on the circumstance. And so let's bring that back to what we started with. Let's bring that back to this idea that to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God with all that you are are related and that all the law and the prophet, prophets hang on these two things. In Romans 13 and verse 9, Paul says the commandments, 
You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. At some point, to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus, to be like Paul, to be participating in the love of God in the world looks like this. Don't wrong your neighbor. At some point, a person has to grow in wisdom to the point where they can say, I don't need the rules, I just need to know this. Don't wrong your neighbor. Or to put it another way, love your neighbor as yourself. The end, you don't need to tell me not to steal your things. You don't need to tell me not to hurt your family. You don't need to tell me not to, not to attack you or to kill you. You don't need to tell me not to covet what's not mine. I would not do those things because I'm not looking to wrong my neighbor. I'm not looking to harm you. I am trying instead to love you as myself. All the law and the prophets, all the rules, all the regulations are supposed to be teaching us to grow into this kind of person, to live into this way of being that you are me and I am you and I would not hurt you any more than I would hurt myself. And at that point, the rules, they disappear. Not because they don't exist, but because we lose sight of the necessity for these specifics, we have expanded the boundaries. You are now free to do whatever you want, so long as it does not harm your neighbor. There are no rules about eating and drinking. This is what Paul says in another place in Romans. The eating and the drinking, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you eat and what you drink. You eat what you want to eat. You drink what you want to eat. Put into your body what you want to put into your body. In another place, Jesus says, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean. It is what comes out of your mouth. It is what proceeds from your heart that tells us whether you are clean or unclean. It is not about what you do. It's not about the specifics. And people, Christians, who get caught up in the specifics, Christians who are full-grown adults who claim to want to be like Christ but are so caught up in the specifics that they restrict the freedoms of themselves and others are immature in their faith. They have not understood the purpose of the law. They have not understood the purpose of the rules to grow into the kind of person who lives into a way of love. Paul calls this the way. It is to be like Christ. He breaks rules all the time. He breaks Sabbath law. He breaks cleanliness law. And the religious leaders ask him continually, why do you do this? Why do your disciples do this? Why does your master do this? Why is this happening? They even accuse him of blasphemy, of sacrilege, of being uh, demon-possessed, of being in league with Beelzebul, because they can't understand. They don't understand that they have failed 
to properly categorize the law. Paul says the law is a teacher, it's a guardian, it's just there until you come of age so that you no longer need it. Someday my children will be old enough that they are not going to need me to tell them what to do. At that point, they can do whatever they want. It's not my business. That is to say, I am no longer their guardian. That doesn't mean that I don't love them. It doesn't mean I won't be there to help them. It means they are responsible for themselves. And the hope is that when that day comes, they have grown enough from the boundaries that I have set for them that they can set their own boundaries. They have grown enough to understand that what I was trying to teach them all along is how to love their neighbor as themselves. And I believe that God is hoping the same thing for us. I believe that ultimately what God desires, and maybe I'm wrong, is that we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what that means is there are no rules. You just have to ask yourself a question. Is what I'm about to do going to harm my neighbor? Is what I'm about to do going to harm another person? And if you're thinking to yourself, that's a real gray area, <laughs> what does that mean? Then you're asking the right questions. We have to negotiate what that means. What it means today might not be the same thing it meant 100 years ago, let alone 2,000 years ago. What it meant for the biblical authors to answer the question, does it harm my neighbor, in the, in the fourth and fifth century or the first century AD might be completely different than what it means in the year 2024. And so my challenge to you this year is this. As we go into 2024, can you let yourself be set free by the gospel of Jesus the Christ, free to love your neighbor as yourself, free to grow beyond the boundaries and the mere rules of the traditions we have been handed? Can you allow yourself to be set free Free enough to love your neighbor the way they deserve to be loved. Not because you're obligated, not because there's a list of rules you're trying to follow, but because at the end of the day, the Spirit has transformed you into the kind of person who lives into a way of love. The kind of person who says, I will do no wrong to my neighbor because I love them. Not because somebody told me to, not because my father is watching or my parents are watching or because I'm in public, but because genuinely and truly I have transcended into Christ-likeness and everything I do in my life hangs on these two things, to love the Lord my God with all that I am and to love my neighbor as myself. That is the challenge for 2024. Please pray with me. Lord God, for many of us, Christianity has been a lifelong pursuit. 
For many of us, we have been in the church our whole lives, or even most of our lives. And yet, it seems that so many of us are so far away from the kind of freedom that the Gospels proclaim. We hesitate on the precipice. The rules are comfortable and the boundaries are clear. But we want to grow beyond, Lord. We want to grow into the kind of wisdom that the rules were always intended to provide. The kind of wisdom where we can push the boundaries all the way out. Where we can love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us this year to pursue that wholeheartedly and earnestly, Lord. To pursue the kind of love that sees us not only as united with the people around us, but that gives us clarity and understanding to step out in real freedom for ourselves and for others. The kind of freedom that helps us to negotiate what real love might look like and what neighborly harm might look like so that we can move through the world as people mature in our faith and our Christ-likeness rather than children under the guidance of mere laws. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.